Thanks for tuning in to Movie Geeks United, everybody. Uh, this is Jamie, and uh, Movie Geek Dean is here, too, and uh, Jerry is off this week. And Adam uh, will be along shortly with the November Blu-ray. Let me say that again. The November Blu-ray releases. Uh, but first, that gives us a few minutes to talk whatever we want to talk about <laughs> before he comes on. Oh, I went. I went to the movies, movies a lot this week. Yeah, I did. I I spent. I watched a lot of stuff. Uh, I saw uh, the other day. I saw. Um, first, I want to start off with the positive. Uh, uh, I saw rules don't apply, and I have to say, I guess I'm in major disagreement with most people about it. Although I've noticed it's gotten some some uh, uh you know kind of adoring reviews but uh i i really i really thought it was charming uh first of all it was beautiful to look at i mean that Caleb Deschanel photography is just you know golden it's so great that that's that's the one oscar nomination i think it it should easily get um but I thought that the uh I thought the love story really worked in it. I, I liked the two leads, uh um uh Alden Aaron Reich and uh especially Lily Collins, who I thought uh was uh not only incredibly beautiful but just charming, you know, just I thought she had some yeah. uh really, really nice uh moments in it. Uh including she shares, you know, the big scene with uh Warren Beatty. Uh, probably the best scene in the movie. But I also liked, you know, Alden Ehrenreich's scene where he sort of tells Howard Hughes, uh, you know, tells him off in a kind of a gentle way. Um, uh, I I thought, you know, the uh, I remember you talking about its conventionality, and I think it's a commentary on the conventionality of the time uh, where... Uh, uh you know people who were even 20 years old or whatever and out on their own weren't weren't supposed to be having sex anytime you know, or anything you know it was like uh it's such a different time period and uh i guess it's so foreign to us now that uh you can judge by the box office that it did i mean probably by this time by the time this airs it probably won't be in but ten theaters around the nation is bombing so bad. But uh, I thought it really that, did, uh, and I, I, uh, I did. I, uh, I have seen advertisements for it, and Beatty's been doing interviews for it for weeks now. So it's not like it hasn't not like the word been out there. Yeah, yeah, it's not like the. But I think we're at a point now where people. I mean, we see now that the the big hit this weekend is is uh, I guess it's Mona, the the Disney movie that I have zero interest in watching, uh, and um, and I like Disney movies, but I just don't have any interest in watching this one. Uh, so I guess we're at a point where people don't like seeing movies about people anymore. So it's just like they have to be animated in some way. Uh, whether it's CGI animation or you know or or, or real animated movie, but there's got to be a cartoon involved now in in movies. And uh, so, do you think, it, you think if they put a cartoon in front of uh, Rules Don't Apply, 
Yeah, I think if they had done <laughs> rules don't helped. apply, if they had done rules don't apply, but with like you know little beavers instead of humans, it would it would be a huge hit. Uh, wow. so, but, a, movie, uh, a movie about a movie about sexual puritanism with little beavers. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I I uh, I also adored that little song, the title song, which nobody's talked about mm-hmm. as as a uh, as you know something that uh, that's a feature of the film, but it's played twice uh, by Lily yeah. Collins, and I thought it was a very very sweet. Little number that's you know of course uh, um, you know it's just her at the piano but um, uh, it's played over the credits as well so it's really played three times but I I thought that was a really uh, nice element to it um, I saw a one yeah, they didn't even some... they didn't even have a they didn't even have a title for the movie before they wrote the song and the song gave Beatty the idea for the title oh okay. Um, yeah, uh, uh, I uh, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was uh, you know, and I, I liked how it uh, how it wrapped up. Uh, it, it, it all made sense to me, and uh, I was I was kind of touched by it. Uh, particularly the thing with uh, well, I want to don't want to give it away for people who haven't seen it, but I I, I really liked the last you know twenty thirty minutes of it. And as far as the editing, I remember you talking about the editing last week about the um the sort of choppy quality to it. Uh well that oh. choppy quality doesn't really come in until about the middle of the movie, and I think that that is there to show you uh to kind of illustrate in a kind of visceral way uh the uh, you know, the unexpected quality of working with someone like Howard Hughes, basically who's major disease is that he's filthy rich and he doesn't have any there's no consequences for anything that he does so he can do anything he wants and uh that creates for people who are the people who are working for him uh not only Alden Ehrenreich but also uh uh Matthew Broderick who I thought was very good in the movie uh it creates a kind of uh, God. What's next? Uh, we just got finished doing this one thing. Now he wants to undo it, and all this kind of stuff. So I thought the editing, where it's hopping all around the world and it kind of stops in the middle of scenes and everything, was was kind of a, a clever device to keep you uh, off kilter. You know, just like everybody else working for Howard Hughes yeah. was. See, I thought that. Uh, I thought. <laughs> I thought midway through the movie it finally found its rhythm. The choppiness for me was in the first half hour and all the establishing stuff and all the stuff that Howard Hughes wasn't actually in. Oh, okay. Uh, That was probably my least favorite part of the movie, I have to say, because I just thought it was a little uh, slow. Uh, I I guess I just wanted to get to Howard Hughes, which is definitely a supporting performance, by the way, not a lead. Um, And... uh, I don't know. I I, uh, I didn't you know I, I didn't like the the fudging of the timelines and I don't buy the whole thing of it being this sort of fictionalized Howard Hughes with flying the Spruce Goose in the fifties and and uh, and then you know the Clifford Irving character which would, who really wouldn't show up until the seventies you know being there in the sixties as well all that didn't make any a lick of sense to me and I don't know why they did it. Uh, they didn't need to. I thought that scene though with uh, Aaron Reich and Beatty, uh, you know, 
walking along the pier, and then, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then surprise, it's a hamburger dinner there while they're looking at the spruce goose, you know. Uh, I thought that was a really great scene. You know, I, I, I thought that there was enough good stuff in it to really appreciate it. And uh, uh, I just think that it's too bad that – I guess I understand why people aren't going to see it because the the trailer was underwhelming, and uh, I don't know that people want to see anything set in the – anything before, like, 1970 anymore. Uh, unless it's like in the old west or something. Um, there was a lot. There was a lot that I liked about it. Uh, I guess I was very disappointed that he spent so many years and he ended up using Howard Hughes as just kind of a device for another. He main really didn't plot. even have to be Howard Hughes. He could have been any. He could have been any. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, billionaire or whatever he could have. But uh, uh, I remember I saw some review from one of my friends on Facebook, uh, who's actually a reviewer, saying, "Well, they never explained what was wrong with him." I said, "Well, didn't you see Aviator? Why does anybody? <laughs> Everybody fucking saw that movie. Like, you don't need any explanation what's about what's wrong with him." Um, and what, all you really have to know, all you really that? have to know is that he's 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 eccentric. I mean, even if you just yeah. know that, I mean, that's enough to go on. But that is <laughs> an interesting point because because um, you know what's the responsibility to kind of spell out these iconic characters for maybe younger generations that aren't aware of them? Because I remember years ago I had a conversation with someone where I talked about how much I disliked Oliver Stone's The Doors because. I didn't feel like I learned anything about Morrison and his appeal, and what I did learn made he's a character that I would absolutely have no interest at all in, <laughs> in knowing. <laughs> you know, he's such a louse. And she looked at me; she was like a rocker chick, and she said, "Well, you don't know Jim." And I was like, "Oh Jesus!" I said, "Well, that's exactly my point. I sure, certainly don't know him from the movie." And she said, "Well, you don't know anything about JFK, and you like uh, you don't." It, the movie JFK doesn't tell you anything about JFK, and uh, you love that movie. And I said the movie JFK tells you an enormous amount about JFK. It tells you that, uh, an enormous amount about him in the first ten minutes of the movie, <sighs> the narration of Martin Sheen. So I don't how how much of that is like fat, you know, to tell to tell people spell out who an iconic figure is and how much is necessary, or how much should you just intuit? Right. It's interesting. Uh, yeah, it is. Complication. It is a, yeah, it is. But it's too, uh, I do feel like it's too bad that the movie is, you know, it's kind of sad that that is probably going to be his last movie. I don't think any yeah. studios are going to be rushing. I mean, I, I'm sure if he said, well, I have another one right here, it would get financed. But uh, um, I don't see that happening. Uh, it's, I mean, it must be a way, rough weekend for... In, in many ways, it's a lovely, it's a lovely little movie. I was just, I was kind of disappointed that it, it felt so slight to me. And I say that I like movies about people. I like, uh, you know, you know me. I like that movie, The yeah. Intern, because I think yeah. it's a lovely mo- little movie. But I was after decade after decades of buildup, you it's, know, with Warren Beatty and all this expectation. Yeah, you expect uh, you. I expected a drama. And uh, this this is not quite a drama, and it's 
it's comedic in tone, but it's not really that funny either. So it's uh, so it's kind of a, it's a difficult movie to, uh, I guess, pigeonhole or whatever. But that's that's a good thing, I guess, and uh, sometimes. But uh, but I thought it was beautiful and made and just Beatty's gorgeous to look at. Beatty's performance, he looks like he's having a great time. I mean, it's yeah. like a very kind of yeah a abulent bu- performance. Yeah, I think he uh, <laughs> uh, bullion. Uh yeah, it's uh yeah, it is. Uh, so I would recommend it uh and I would recommend seeing it on the big screen to enjoy that uh photography which is just absolutely stellar. Um okay, you can continue. Let me bring up Adam so he's not on hold. Well, he'll probably know. have something to throw in on this next one. Okay, hey Adam. Hey Adam. Hey guys, how are you? Talking movies, of course. Uh, <laughs> As usual. The next thing that I was going to bring up was uh, Arrival. And uh, my thoughts on that, <laughs> which are highly, highly negative. And uh, first of all, I want to bring up something. So, so, so now we have this trend in science fiction movies. Uh, which luckily the Martian kind of sidestepped this, and in in, in, I'm very thankfully uh, thankful that it wasn't a big deal in that this uh, that movie. But so is every sci-fi movie going to be like some kind of uh, bait and switch uh, where it's really about having kids and being a parent and how important that is and and all that stuff? I mean, like, do you remember when? And it wasn't that long ago <laughs> where you could go and see ten movies and there would be no mention of either kids or parents. Well, that's where you leave it out everybody but single people. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, the thing is, the thing is, you go, go to the 40s, go to the 50s, go to the 60s, go to the 70s. Let's take a look at the 70s. Did did R. P. McMurphy have a little kid uh, somewhere in uh, you know in uh, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? I mean, was was uh, was Dog Day Afternoon really about kids and parents? I mean, there were kids and there were parents in it, but that really wasn't what the movie. So I mean, you know, you see what I'm saying? Like Taxi Driver didn't have any kids or parents in it. There's a couple of parents at the end of the movie. Uh, I mean. Just this whole idea that everything's got to be about your fucking progeny and and everything like that. And I realize that you know rules don't apply has has an element of this in it too. But I just get so tired of it. I mean, and especially now because one of the fastest growing demographics in the nation uh, are people who live alone. There are thirty now. 30 million people, more people than ever before, who are living alone. And I just, and I'm one of them. Uh, I mean, I'll, you know, I'm I'm here with a family member, with my mom, but um, I, uh, I'm just, I'm just tired of hearing about children and and yeah, but but being f- a parent. Find me, find, me, find me one one person on the planet who doesn't have a mother. Uh, Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, mothers are very rare in movies. I mean, it's very difficult. I mean, so I mean, I guess that's a good thing in Arrival. Is that, but uh, 
But anyway, to get back to Arrival, <clears throat> what a bore. <laughs> I can't say it any stronger than, than God was I bored. I mean, bored from the very beginning of it. Like, just like, ugh. And, uh, you know, kind of annoyed with the whole Terrence Malick, uh, you know, girl looking at a caterpillar on a flower and stuff like that. And just, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to see anybody doing Malick except Malick. Let's let's put it that way. And um, and I'm and he's not tired doing of... it well here lately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, I'm, you know, I'm I'm struggling to get up the uh, get up the energy to watch To the Wonder and Knight of Cups, both of which are on Amazon Prime, and so it's free. And I still can't like even make myself do it because it just seems like such a slog. Uh, but um, with, uh, I mean, there was nothing in uh, Arrival that was new or uh, original, or uh, it, it it was basically sort of like a Twilight Zone episode that uh, could have been done in thirty minutes. Uh, instead, we have to sit for two hours and watch it. So it's like a movie that. Okay, so imagine if Close Encounters started off with the mothership coming down and doing the bleep, 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 uh, you know, uh, uh, musical conversation that they have. And then the rest of the movie is nothing but them trying to figure out what each bleep and bloop means. And uh, and then there's this uh, this thing about time and and just the whole revelation in the movie that comes at the end, which I don't want to spoil it for people, but I was like, Ugh. so what good is this? So the aliens came down just to help this woman, you know, uh, I don't know, see her future or whatever. How could that help anybody? Who would want that? Why would why would you do you would you want to know your entire future before you actually lived it? What what kind of help would that be? It would just be a big pain in the ass. It'd be a a, a big uh, a big headache. So and that's what the aliens leave us. <laughs> that's what they that's what they came down for. How is that going to help? Uh, and uh, I, I you know Jeremy Ritter was a was a big nothing in it and uh, just a kind of a plot device and. Um, and I really wasn't that impressed with Amy Adams either. I mean, she doesn't she just she just puts on those eyes of wonder, you know, and uh, that's about it. And uh, I just don't get what everybody's going nuts over. The only thing I liked in it was uh, Johan Johansson's score, which I thought was was superb. But um, but I thought, yeah, big nothing. I, I, it's starting to feel like Contact is one of the, you know, Robert Zemeckis' Contact from the 90s is one of the most influential movies ever made, uh, at least as far as science <laughs> fiction goes, because everybody's fucking ripping it off left and right. We get a new Contact ripoff every year now, uh, well, with the last one being Interstellar, uh, so every two years, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I, I was just like, eh. Whatever, fair. I heard people sobbing and stuff in the theater. I was like, what? <laughs> what the fuck? 
<laughs> what are you crying about? There's absolutely nothing that's even getting me close to crying in this movie. And uh, and I, I didn't cry at the beginning of the movie either. I, I didn't find any of that touching or anything. It was just, well, whatever. Uh, I don't even understand why that stuff at the beginning of the movie, because it can't be memories that she's already having, you know. Uh, so why is that there? You know why it's there? It's there to bait and it's there to fool us, not to... I and and I say the word fool in the uh in the worst sense. Like there's no logical reason for those scenes to be there. Uh they're just there to fool us into thinking that it's something that's already happened when it's not. Um and uh I just don't understand it. I thought it was cheap. Uh when it's all said and done, you you go back and look at it, you're like, Yeah, but why did they have all that stuff? So and uh, by the way, uh, now that I've seen it, I can fully say that uh, uh, state my suspicions uh, about Denis Villeneuve uh, as a director, who I think he fails more often than he succeeds. I know some people love Prisoners, and I like Sicario uh, a lot, um, but I did not like prisoners and I was not a fan of uh of enemy or I haven't seen Incendies. Uh, uh so I, I I just I don't get him. Um Oh uh, I did, yeah. Adam? Yeah, I, I I mean for me it did grab me at the beginning. The the stuff with the uh with you know when they, they Showed the, the whole life, life of, of a child. child, and yeah, yeah, that that really did grab me, and I thought, oh boy, we're onto something good here, because I was, you know, it was, I mean, I wasn't crying or anything, but it was like, this is, this is really, this is pretty powerful, and then the movie started. Then the aliens come, and you're like, <laughs> yeah, the aliens came, and and by the time the military showed up, that was when I was rolling my eyes because I said, here we go with oh, another yeah. military subplot with the, uh, you know, and you've got the the gung ho. Uh, the, the, the gung ho commander uh, that's like, oh, yeah, do right. your job, and and then there's the there's the one guy who's like shitting on everybody, you know, uh, yeah. the, uh, the <laughs> Michael Stuhlberg character who's like, uh, oh, I shit on you, yeah, you know, so you're supposed to hate him, and uh, <laughs> it's uh, and it was also such a dull looking movie. I mean, it was so drained. Why did they drain it of co- color? Uh, I just don't understand that. Like. They just they might as well shot it in black and white. That would have been a braver choice. Uh, but yeah. uh, uh, you know, so much of it is dark. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I don't know. It's just I was just bored by it. Like it's just like every other alien movie. Uh, they didn't bring anything new to the table, and no. I, I can't, I can't say it any stronger. I know you yeah, liked it. I loved it. <laughs> you loved it. Yeah. I don't get it. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I didn't hate it, uh, you know, as much as Dean did, but I, I did find it to be somewhere middle of the road. I just wasn't overly enthusiastic about it, and all my colleagues, you know, I was sitting with them, and they were just there. Some of them, their spouses came with them, and they removed the tears, and I'm sitting there just totally unmoved emotionally, and I felt like to turd in the punch bowl. To- <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> what is wrong with me? Have I lost yes. all sense of emotion? Am, am I losing my humanity? I don't know. What's, what's wrong with me? Because all these people are sitting around me, and they're just so moved, and I'm sitting here like a stone. What's wrong uh-huh. with me? <laughs> but I just have I to mean, stick to my guns, though. You know, I have yeah. to be honest, and, you know, so. And I, you know, I mean, uh, I don't feel like I'm losing my humanity. I just feel like I, 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 I feel like. Everybody else is losing their sense of taste, frankly. Uh, <laughs> uh, I really think I really think that being fed this steady diet of junk food uh, yeah. that you get most of the year uh, has has really just uh, killed people's taste buds. Uh, and um, yep. and uh, and now they, you know, it's like, oh, it's the time of the year for Oscars, so anything that comes out this time of year must be good. Like, no. Mm. Uh, so it's like well, if it looks like yeah. it has the imprimatur of goodness on it, then it must be good. Uh, but and that's was, not the case. I was incredibly moved by uh, Allied. You know, I, I saw that, uh, and nobody seems to like it but me, or or everybody's lukewarm on it. I enjoyed it. I'm telling you, you were talking about Zemeckis, and I thought, you know, he's still got it. But it seems like. These critics, this crop of critics that are coming up, they're out of step with my sensibilities, and it used to be the opposite. And uh, uh-huh. I don't know if I feel at odds with everybody, but I really enjoyed that movie. I've got to tell you, I thought it was uh, incredibly moving, and uh, it was suspenseful at times, and uh, a lot of great period detail, and I just I ate it up. I really did. i got to be honest with you. <laughs> mm. Well, I, I'm I'm not so excited to see that movie. I have to say because I yeah. don't really feel like Zemeckis still has it. I mean, like I didn't you know, either. <laughs> I felt the same says. way, and uh, you know, but I quite um, enjoyed it. I've got to be honest. Uh, I watched Moonlight, and uh, while I thought it was a good movie, you know, a three star movie or whatever, uh, you know, it's it, it's fine, uh, but. Um, I think that it's been way overhyped. I don't think it's nearly as good as everybody says. I mean, I, I've I've seen more. I've seen movies like it. Uh, I mean, not not a black man discovering his uh, his homosexuality or whatever, a black boy. But uh, I mean, I think that's the thing that sets it apart. That uh, I guess is amazing to some people. Wow, this is new. But that wow, black kid. <laughs> Thinking he's gay, wow! But I don't think that's a big wow. Uh, and uh, I also, uh, with the exception of uh, uh, Mahershala uh, Ali uh, in that uh, very uh, striking supporting role, uh, I didn't think the acting was great. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, you know, I like the the third part of it. <clears throat> where it's the kid as an adult um i thought was uh was interesting probably the most interesting part of the movie um and uh you know i mean i i i liked i liked it but i wasn't blown away by it i mean for one thing i thought it was going to be a strikingly photo well photographed movie because you see all the pictures and they're all strong blues and weird greens and pinks and stuff in it and those are just single shots in the movie. It's it's not a movie that has a distinctive visual quality to it. In fact, it 
it does something that I usually don't like in movies, which is it's mostly shot handheld. Uh, and uh, and also found uh, I also watched this week. I watched a movie called The Fits, uh, which is I I thought a, a better movie <laughs> than uh, Moonlight in some ways. Uh, but it's a, it's about a young girl who's discovering her femininity. Uh, she's really a tomboy, uh, but uh, she tries to fit in with uh, the other young uh, black girls at her school. And uh, but I I noticed that there's a sort of an interesting theme that's going on in movies now with kids because uh, I noticed it in in a movie called Little Men that I talked about a few weeks ago, which I loved. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know why it is in these kids' movies where you have these kids that refuse to speak. Uh, <laughs> like, what, what's the what's the motivation there? Like, uh, is is it because kids aren't really good? Are, are, the kids aren't really great actors, so they're afraid to let them speak because they're afraid that they're going to show their acting is not up to snuff. So they just have them sort of behaving on screen. But, I think everybody's uh, a victim. Everybody's a victim in Moonlight, so that's part of the problem because uh, the whole movie is just a movie about victims. I think right. Everybody's uh, it's illuminating the victim subculture that we have out there uh-huh. uh, now, and I, th- I thought that was what it was more about than uh, a fully formed portrait of these people. You know, and mm-hmm. just they they did everything they could to say this guy's a victim, that guy's a victim, and right. Uh, you know, that was the way I felt about it. And uh, so and and the mother's a victim and the and yeah uh, right right and, and 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 even the the drug dealers are victims and so forth so yeah that's, that's exactly. true um uh I don't know I but generally I just felt like it was kind of a cold sort of I I don't know I felt it was sort of chilly in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um simply because I, I I get. I get sort of antsy watching people on screen that refuse to talk. Like, and this is a character <laughs> that refused to talk throughout his entire life and throughout the entire like movie. That, like that, I tell you what, I agree. Like that fucking Holly Hunter in the piano. That bugged the shit out of me. That's not a peep. Can you, can you just say something? What are you, mute? Uh, uh, but... <laughs> By the way, I saw a movie, uh, and and this is a movie everybody else has seen, but uh, I knew that uh, it was a Todd McCarthy movie with Paul Giamatti, and it was about wrestling. And I watched Win Win yesterday for the first time, but I was not knowing anything anything really about it. And so it felt like such a pleasant kind of discovery. I mean, I I love the movie, but that kid in there, uh, for the longest time, that kid in there is like, okay. (laughs) I think it's just like... Uh, kids don't, especially in communication with adults, they, a lot of times they just don't know what the hell to say. They, you know, they don't have much to say. Is it, so that's, I mean, that that's it. It's just a, I don't know. I just it gives it gives very I don't know frustrating what it is in terms of moonlight, but yeah. 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 Well, I mean, you know, basically the character is like that throughout his entire the entire periods of life that we see we see him up to is like 25 or something like that uh uh and um i i don't anyway, know I, the same I, could be I was, the same could be said of, Ro- of robert duvall in tender mercies <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, he's the, 
<laughs> but but he he speaks though. I mean he he is. I don't mind a taciturn sort of uh, you know reluctant person or quiet person. But I, I don't know. You just like uh, in Moonlight. There's scene after scene of like everybody talking to this kid at at ten years old and at seventeen years old and then at, at twenty five. And him not saying anything. Uh, I mean, I, I guess that's an effect of being bullied or being afraid of the sexuality that you have or something like that. You know, that he's completely shut down. I guess I understand that, but I don't know. It's 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 not it's not dramatically satisfying to sit there and no. watch somebody or to kind get of, asked or to kind of note or to kind of note that he has such like burning inner passions that he just can't express vocally but they're in there it makes him more enigmatic and yeah um very quickly i saw bad santa too and they should just call it bad because it was uh <laughs> literally Agreed. literally without laughs which is a major accomplishment i sat yeah. in there absolutely stone-faced Ready to laugh, wanting to laugh, and they just completely screwed up the uh, beautiful, uh, 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 almost uh, artistic, you know, comedic quality of the first film. Uh, It didn't have any of its, uh, you know, sort of odd kind of elegance to it. Uh, it. It didn't, you know... It forgot about scoring the whole movie with uh, classical music and stuff like that, which I thought was a interesting choice by the first one. It just yeah. directorially, it had none of a, 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 none of the first movie's uh, quality, uh, and also story wise, it had none of the first movie's quality. Uh, Laugh wise, certainly didn't. Uh, uh, the introduction of Kathy Bates's character, who is Kathy Bates is probably four years older than uh, Billy Bob Thornton is. Uh, and Billy Bob Thornton's character has to be like what, like 50, 55, 60 or something? I mean, so yeah. what is she, like 85 or something? I mean, she didn't look like an 85-year-old. Um, but didn't it's you feel the kind sorry of movie. Octa- I was huh? going to say, didn't you feel sorry for Octavia Spencer? I felt yeah. so sorry for her. <laughs> yes, disgusting. And uh, also, uh, you know, it's the kind of movie that thinks it's funny. Oh, well, we'll show a scene with Kathy Bates on the toilet with the door open and everybody's yeah. shocked by it and everything. Uh, it's just a movie that uh, that thinks it's funny to put put a motherfucker in a in a in a sentence, and the, the motherfucker is supposed to make the line funny. Um, yeah. And that's not what the first one. The first one. Almost had a poetry about it cursing, uh, and uh, this this just missed the mark completely, uh, which we should have known. I mean, Terry Zwigoff's not involved with it, and uh, and weren't the Cohen brothers like uh, producers on the first one or something? I bet they're far away from this one. So, uh, uh, but I did see two great movies that are under the radar this year. And I want to re- recommend them to everybody. First uh, is Adam Agoyan's Remember, uh, which is now on Amazon Prime. I think it got a small release this year. It is a 2016 movie. Uh, it has uh, it stars uh, Christopher Plummer, 
uh, as a um, as a Jewish man uh, who is sent on a mission by a, uh, a, f- a friend at his um, at his nursing home, played by Martin Landau. Uh, they've been talking about this mission for a long time, and and, it, and it's aimed at killing a uh, former Auschwitz. They're both former Auschwitz survivors, uh, you know, survivors of the Holocaust. Uh, who have discovered that there are uh, there's a uh, camp commandant uh, still living in America, and they want to go out and and uh, they're the only people who can recognize him, and uh, so uh, Landau sends a plumber out to kill him, uh, and uh, so so that's the entire story. Um, By the uh, way. This if you read the plot of this movie, it could almost read as a black comedy, like a, 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 like a really dark comedy, like a dementia-stricken elderly guy escapes uh-huh. from a nursing facility to go out Nazi hunting. The, the Nazi hunting subgenre between this and uh, <clears throat> this must be the place is the uh-huh. oddest. <laughs> it is an odd subgenre. Yeah, it really, it really is. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, this uh, here is treated completely uh, seriously. Uh, Plummer is uh, superb in it, and it's really uh, Adam McGoyan's best work in a really long time. I mean, like I can't recall the last Adam McGoyan movie that I liked. It probably was Sweet Hereafter uh, in the in the mid nineties. Mm-hmm. So, um, but uh, I thought this was a. Uh, uh, Probably one of his more entertaining movies. Also quite suspenseful. There's a great scene in the middle of the movie with Dean Norris, uh, who uh, people might recall from, of course, uh, Breaking Bad, playing Hank, uh, the policeman brother-in-law character. Uh, He's got a great set of scenes in the middle of the movie that will really... Uh, have you on the edge of your seat, and uh, and it has a very uh, interesting uh, wrap up, uh, and uh, just just I mean it's not a masterpiece, but I I really found it incredibly entertaining. Uh, on the same level of entertainment, well, hang, you know, again uh, not on, a masterpiece. Hang on, huh? hang on. Uh, I mean I liked it too, even though at many times I thought it was really uh, ridiculous. Plot-wise, but as I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, "Oh God, it's so refreshing that there's no flashbacks in this movie." Yeah. And then when it reached the end, when it reached the end of it, I was like, "Oh, that's why there's no flashbacks to the movie." They were, they were, they were <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That's why. Yeah. But that you're right. There is the. That, I guess that's kind of a clue. But, um, uh, but if you haven't seen the movie, try and forget what we're talking about here. But. Uh, uh, the other film I wanted to mention that we could get onto the Blu-rays is uh, is um, The Trust, which uh, came out earlier this year. I think it made like ten million at the box office, not anything at all. Uh, and uh, I guess <clears throat> I, I've of course skipped over it because a long time ago, I think because of. Uh, well, Nicolas Cage is the star, and <laughs> you just sort of skip over all of his movies. 
not kind of forgetting that hey he's good sometimes and uh and this is one of the movies where he's really good in you know there's some everything that we like about Nicolas Cage is unusual choices in 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 uh certain moments um is here uh in this movie which co-stars Elijah Wood uh and they both play two crooked cops who uh discover uh, discover a a, a uh, criminals safe somewhere and they decide to heist it that's basically it and um uh it's 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 no more complicated than that it's a heist movie uh but uh but actually quite uh well done uh especially if you don't think about the logistics of it all if you're not one of those people that says yeah but why didn't they do this this would have been a lot easier uh if you just get, go with what they give you, uh, it's very, very entertaining. Uh, sometimes uh, extremely funny due to uh, uh, to Nicolas Cage, and uh, and Elijah Wood is not irritating. <laughs> so that's good. <laughs> I usually find him irritating, but uh, so you know, so there's some some uh, good under the radar 2016 movies that are. Uh, available to rent uh, out there that uh, I think more people should be talking about. Yeah, Adam, November Blu-rays. Uh, how's it going? Yeah. <laughs> well, how do, I, how do I how do I intro this topic? I, I it's always an, a difficult segue, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, well, about a boy that comes out. Speaking of coming out, what came out on Blu-ray this week this month? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> What Great turkeys segue. came Great out segue. on Blu-ray this week? <laughs> That's true. Uh, actually, actually, there's uh, there's some pretty good stuff. I'm going to be honest with you, uh, and I still haven't quite made my way through all the review discs. Uh, full confession, um, there's a there's a big stack of them, which I guess is a good problem to have. But uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, especially for a collector but, like yourself. Ah, uh, yeah, this is this is true. And it, by the way, know, Adam, I I got to I got to tell you. Uh, because you uh, you listen to that Oscar podcast with Warren Beatty, um, oh, yeah, the terrific. Hollywood Reporter yeah. does. Uh, apparently, uh, Scott Feinberg just released a new podcast with De Niro, so uh, oh, nice. that might be that might be good. I just wanted to give you a heads up before I forget. I'm glad you did. Yeah, I was surprised at that. Uh, you know, he's norm he normally does not. You know, he's very carefully chooses his words and i thought he was a lot more open in that podcast interview than i've heard him in other interviews i mean maybe Beatty it's just my yeah. take on it but that's yeah. what that's what surprised me because if you read me about too. Beatty's interviews in the press uh yeah the the you know the vanity fair profile the author of that profile wrote a second article about the process of putting together that profile and said mm-hmm. that he you know off the record he was so jovial and talkative, and as soon as I turned on the recorder, he clammed up, and he took forever <laughs> to choose every word, and then he'd go yep. back and restate something. So I was like, well, he's he's the the the, the most imperfect guest for a podcast ever. Uh, right. But he let it run. He let it ride, which was surprising. Yeah, I thought it was great. I, I was uh, impressed. And I wasn't really familiar with that podcast, and I went back and got some of the uh, the earlier episodes, with, and there's some pretty good uh, guests on there. Surprisingly, the guy had just done an interview with Robert Vaughn a month and a half before he passed away. Yeah. 
And uh, yeah. that was a shock. I thought, man, what a – I mean, was he ill at that time, or did he just, uh, you know, just become ill between the time they did the podcast? And I was – that was – because he sounded full of vitality on the, you know, the, the the podcast that they did. So that was – it was quite interesting, yeah. So, but, yeah, definitely recommend that to people if you haven't listened to that. It's And it's about an hour and a half. It was long. It was lengthy, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, okay. well, well, here come the titles. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, well, I know Dean has complained about this before that the only uh, version of Stripes out there now is seemingly the director's cut. Uh, but I think they've rectified that problem. Uh, I think I told you guys last time, or maybe the time before, that Sony ha- now has a uh, label that they call the Choice Collection, and they're actually. It's a Blu-ray on-demand service, so if you order one of these movies, they, uh, you know, they'll press it up and mail it out to you. And there's a lot of debate about pressed Blu-rays as opposed to uh, the the mass-produced ones because they say the ones that are burned on-demand maybe don't hold up as long, you know. And because uh, I know that's been an issue with DVDs for sure. And uh, so anyway, but what I'm getting at is that Stripes has been issued in its original theatrical cut uh, on this Choice Collection label from that's Sony. Good. So we do have an option. Uh, yeah, on that's good. Stripes because that director's cut is all stuff that should have been cut out. Which yeah, is, which, I agree. Which is the case with most director's cuts. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't really it, it it changes the whole tone of the movie, I think, and not in a good way. But uh, it's it's it has been issued as well as uh, Neighbors, the uh, John Belushi uh, film directed by John Avildsen, and that's that's another one of their choice collection. Uh, how, how do you guys feel about that movie? Uh, it's a mixed bag. <laughs> it's, it's not what great, movie? but it's. Neighbors, neighbors with, uh, John Belushi. Oh, neighbors. Oh. John Belushi. <laughs> yeah. You know, I have a strange affection for it. I remember first seeing it and thinking, what in the hell is this yeah. movie with that crazy score? Is that a Bill Conti <laughs> score or something like that? I think it it's is, on, yeah. And uh, it's just got this crazy, incessant score that goes throughout the entire movie that makes it feel like a cartoon. And uh, and then I remember seeing it on cable and uh, you know uh, repeatedly, and uh, starting to get into it. You know, like I, uh, mm-hmm. I really is that think like, that uh, is, is your that like favorite Lucian actor Ackroyd's version uh, version of the Cable Guy? Is that like uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. pretty much. It sort of is. Uh, you're right. But uh, but I I I really find Aykroyd and Belushi very funny in it, and oh. and same thing mm-hmm. goes with uh, with uh, especially with um, Kathy Moriarty, who mm-hmm. I think really has fun with her role. Uh, but but that's a movie that uh, it's unusual, <laughs> no, no doubt about it. It's not yeah. for everybody, but. Well, uh, I, I I would completely empathize I completely empathize with Belushi because if Dan Aykroyd were my neighbor I would pull my fucking hair out. Uh, <laughs> that must be one of the most irritating Aykroyd performances for you of all time because yeah, he, yeah. he really is <laughs> he's really unleashed in that it's movie. It's so hard it's so hard to pare that down. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh well. Well I. 
the only bad thing is about these uh, Choice Collection Blu-rays, they don't have any extras that I'm aware of. So it's pretty mm. much bare bones only, and and they retail for almost thirty bucks. I think like twenty seven ninety five. So kind of pricey for just a movie only. But if you really want a high definition version of Neighbors, well, there you go. So yeah, here it is. Okay. <laughs> and isn't that yeah. who, who, hey, who who directed that again? That's John, John, John G. Ableton. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. yeah. It's a great yeah. classic Didn't, underdog uh, story in the John Appleton tradition. <laughs> Appleton had such a weird career because he had, you know, right before he won the Oscar for Rocky, he did uh, WW and the Dixie Dance Kings, which I really like, the mm-hmm. Burt Reynolds movie. And, and then right after he won the Oscar for uh, for Rocky, what, did he do did he do something like Fist or something like that? <laughs> or, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I believe did, so. Yeah. I think it was Fist that he had, he did. And just just a weird you know, Rocky is like it's ironic an amazing. because because I I'd, I'd honestly prefer to get fisted than watch neighbors again. So <laughs> very ironic. Well okay. you can't forget that he did uh, Joe in nineteen seventy, so that was how he burst onto mm. the scene, so Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh boy. But, uh, interesting career. It, yeah, it's 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 interesting. That's for sure. I love to hear him. Years ago, I edited an interview with him for Aaron's show, and uh, he got really upset by comparisons to Rocky and the Karate Kid. He was like, "They have literally nothing to do with one another. <laughs> they have no similarities at all." I was like, "All right, man." Oh. Well, they don't really. <laughs> they they really don't. I well, mean, other than no, they're they're underdog they're sports movies. Or they're classic underdog sports movies. So uh, underdog sports movie is about the only thing that they have in common, I guess, because the the what they Rocky are. is so gritty. So the only only thing they have in common is what they are. <laughs> well, they belong to the same genre, I guess, but they uh, but their approach is radically different. I mean, you know, Rocky is. So much grittier, uh, uh, you know. Karate Kid is like a shiny little bonbon uh, compared right. to Rocky. So Rocky's like a sloppy plate of spaghetti yeah. or something. <laughs> Actually, I stand corrected. I did the research. He uh, that was Norman Jewison that directed Fist. He did Slow Dancing in the Big City. That was his follow up to Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's even more obs- that's way more obscure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Paul Sorvino the- thing. Right. Yeah. And then he did well, the formula. Oh, that's right. He did the movie with Brando wearing the earpiece. Right. Who did-, did he Oh, okay. So I guess Victory is a uh, Victory is like a British director. Like a John Irving. No, Victory like. was uh was uh John Hughes. Uh, John Hughes, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah, and don't forget he directed the Power of One. So don't that's a real uh, <laughs> that's a real jewel in his uh, <laughs> his resume. Oh man. Anyway, and it, uh, the Power of well, One. I'm telling you, it, the Power of One is absolutely not the same movie as the Karate Kid. Do not make that mistake. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Although I kind of have some affection for Lean on Me that you know that he did with uh, right. Morgan Freeman. So it, it has its moments. Uh, well, anyway, uh, an, a Kino release. And there are no the similarities sexy. between Morgan Freeman's character in Lean on Me and Burgess Meredith in Rocky. Do not make <laughs> <up>. <laughs> None whatsoever. Uh, 
Well, Battle yeah. of the Sexes is a 1960 film uh, with that um, Peter Sellers and directed by Charles Crichton, who later on um, uh, did uh, many other British comedies. And um, well, he so, done he had done you know uh, uh, maybe not the, not the Lady Killers, but uh, um, well, of course his, he's probably most famous for Fish Called Wanda. Right, uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but, later uh, in his life. Yeah, but he'd been doing you know British comedies mm-hmm. you know, all through the fifties and sixties. So yeah, I've never so, heard of that he, one. Yeah, supposedly it's pretty good. Although I've I've not seen it, I have to admit. But I I hear good things. Beautiful blonde from Bashful Bend, that stars Betty Grable, <laughs> and that's from nineteen forty nine. That's another Kino release and directed by Preston Sturges. So it's one of his comedies with also with Cesar Romero. So, uh, and there's another one. And uh, I know they released these uh, as separate discs a couple of months ago, but they put them, uh, paired them together as one release. Snoopy Come Home and Boy Named Charlie Brown. Paramount has opted to put those together. So for the price of one, you can get uh, both of them. Oh, good. Actually, so yeah, I and I, yeah, I need to get. Uh, that's one I did not get as a review copy, so I need to pick those up and. Uh, not another teen movie is another one of the Sony Choice Collection releases. Um, I'm not sure anybody was clamoring for that, but zero uh, interest. Yeah, and the Polar Express has been reissued yet again as a steel book. So. Uh, uh, oh my God! Vomit. Huh. <laughs> a, uh, yeah. a book that, that, that uh, reflects the, uh, the the life and the, the character's eyes. It's awesome. I I would. <laughs> I, I would I would count that movie as one of the ten most excruciating movies of all time, <laughs> ever. Like, Plan Nine from Outer Space looks like fucking Schindler's List compared to this. <laughs> uh, Worst. I saw it in IMAX on a domed screen, so that was uh, that was my only experience with it. So. And that was enough. <laughs> oh my God! When they're singing about the coffee and everything, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, that was painful. enough. <laughs> yeah. Oh jeez. So, so do you guys know anything about this uh, new animated Batman release called uh, Return of the Cape Crusaders? And I guess the main gimmick here is that they've uh, that um, uh, Adam West and Burt Ward have returned to voice the characters in this, and it's brand new. It's like brand new <laughs> animated. Film, but they brought them back, and <laughs> and it's somebody, that old style of animation too. It's that it, it is. It's, it's that old and, sort of filmation kind of seventies style, you know. Yeah. To it. And the thing about it is, and I was told this by somebody who who watched it. I have not gotten around to it, but I was told that it's very disconcerting at the beginning when you start watching it because you're used to the old, you know, Burt Ward and Adam West voices and they're they're now in their 80s. Right. So when you start right. watching it, you're hearing you're seeing Batman but you're hearing an 80-year-old Burt Ward and Adam West doing uh-huh. voices. And it takes a good 10 to 15 minutes to get acclimated to that. To, uh-huh. And then there's, and and then get there's, there's the script, the script that had to make concessions for that, like the part where Batman asks Robin for where his Flomax is. Uh, it's like <laughs> weird. It's, yeah. it's right there on your utility belt. It's right there. <laughs> oh man! 
But I think that would be interesting to watch, if for nothing else, to see how that blends. Their voices now blending with this animation might be quite an experience. But uh, it looks anyway. good. I thought it looked good. I saw a preview yeah. for it, and I was like, hey, yeah. hey you know, at least they, yeah. they. It looks like they tried, at least. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Well, another title that might be of interest. Uh, Speaking of superheroes and such, Doc Savage, Man of Bronze, with the, uh, uh, with Ron, is that Ron <laughs> Eli? Yeah, the old Tarzan from the late sixties. Right. Yeah, that guy. And uh, <laughs> this was supposed to be, you know, this was supposed to be like the first of a series of films, and this was the only one they did. Kind of like Remo Williams, it didn't take off, and uh-huh. uh, and this was the last George film from George Powell, mm. the uh, the famous, you know producer, director, whatever. Uh, and this was his last and that's it's kind of sad that this was the way he went out because it's it it doesn't really hold up. I'm going to be honest. I hate to say that, but uh but if it's you It's no uh, naked if, jungle, is it? Uh no. <laughs> definitely not. But uh for some reason Warner Archive has seen fit to put it out there. So if you must go back and revisit Doc Savage Man of Bronze, well there you go. So um, anyway, uh, so how about Bubba Hotep, directed by Don Coscarelli? Right. Uh, that I've been uh, has I've been meaning to get the uh, you know this is this is off the top. Well, I mean it's related, but I've been meaning yeah. to get the uh, Phantasm remastered. Have you uh, have you seen that? Uh, it the remastered out disc, yeah, it's coming out in December in a week or two. No, I haven't gotten my hands on it yet. Uh, uh, okay, review, I don't. Even, I don't even think the review copies have gone out yet, but it's coming uh, out. Okay, I have a friend. I have a friend that's a huge uh, Don Coscarelli fan, um, and so he was delighted. Uh, above all of our guests, he was delighted when I told him that we had him on the show years ago. But he mm-hmm. knows Phantasm backwards and forwards. And he went to the theater to see that remastered Phantasm, and 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 knowing the movie as well as he did, he said there were details that he'd never <laughs> noticed before. Mm, in yeah. corners, the, the 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 you know the vivacity of some of those images were shocking to him. Yeah, I still think it's one of the great horror films, and uh, uh, I I feel like it still holds up. Uh, it doesn't feel dated or anything to me. Uh, I have I have tremendous affection for it, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and uh, uh, I, I I feel similarly about uh, Bubba Hotep too. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I don't think it's as great a movie, but it is massively mm-hmm. entertaining. Uh, it's got two really terrific performances in it from uh, Bruce Campbell and Ossie Davis. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just a strange a strange pair of. Uh, of dudes and to have in a movie together, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, but I, I think it really works. Have you seen the new one, the Phantasm Ravager? I haven't gotten around to it yet, but I watched the first uh, thirty minutes of it, and I, I sort of lost interest. But uh, yeah, it's got it, it. You know, it's it's all right. It, I mean, I, I really haven't responded very well to the sequels at all. Uh, I I like it better. I like Phantasm just fine as a standalone movie. Yeah. I don't think it needs a sequel or anything. And, uh, is that dude still alive, the old man? Or he must have died? No, he, he died, died this year. He yeah, died he died early. right after the production, right after they finished shooting that one. Uh, and apparently he was dying as they were filming it. Um, uh-huh. Because they did a uh, they they did a uh, uh, an interview with him on... Um, oh, I'm trying to 
forget, I forget what that podcast is. But anyway, they, there was an interview with him when they uh, released that on video, and they said the director of it, which Coscarelli was was he wrote it, but he hired he got uh, a collaborator to direct it, and they they explained you know that he he knew the end was near, but he he pressed on and they got it finished. So uh, anyway, Angus yeah. Grimm. Yeah, yeah, I saw that guy about four years ago at one of these, uh, you know, the Mad Monster Party type things where they, you know, have the autographs and all that. He had the longest line of anybody there, I'm telling you. Mm. It was amazing. And he was about 83, 84 at that time. And uh, they were just lined out that the was door. The, that, was to get the, that was the thing, man. I mean, the, all those older horror movies, um, no matter their merits, uh, uh those people with conventions and stuff—they had ongoing careers just doing that. Oh yeah. I mean, you could just—you could just make one appearance in a single horror movie, and you had a career for life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, so interesting. And the interesting—the interesting thing about him is he actually uh, had a second career writing liner notes for albums. Yeah. And so that's what, yeah, I, that's I, what, I always thought that was surprising. <laughs> I Did know, he win a Grammy or on. something? Didn't I think he? he did. Yeah, he he wrote the liner notes for some of those Beatles albums, the American releases of some of the Beatles albums, if if memory serves. And uh, so he had a whole thing going on before you know the 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 tall man became his uh, later calling. So he he's, he had quite a a check. It's funny they used to grind. give Grammys for liner notes. I don't know if they still they did. do. They did. Uh, yeah. uh, but um, some some surprising people would win, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think Allen Ginsberg yeah. won one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah. but yeah, that's that's an interesting side note about Angus Grimm. I always heard he was it very is. nice too, very a very kind person. So he really seemed to be, you know, the brief interaction I had there. So seemed to be. Mm. But anyway, uh, so moving along to other releases, and we're and we're doing um, the releases for November eighth now. Uh, we have uh, Lone Wolf and Cub. The Criterion uh, put uh, did uh, a release of Lone Wolf and Cub, the uh, you know based on the the uh, the famed Japanese um, graphic novel. And I'm which telling, a lot of people call like the Baby Cart series, right? Or whatever. Yeah, you know. it was later edited into a feature film and put out in 1981 in America called Shogun Assassin. Mm-hmm. And uh, but these are the individual films. There's six of them, and I finally did. I did get a chance to dig into them, and my son and I we we uh, dug into them together. And and I'm telling you, the transfers are outstanding. The movies are just uh, I, I don't. I mean, they're just great. They're they're really entertaining, and you can see the influence. You know, that Tarantino obviously was influenced by these with a lot of the set pieces that he employed in Kill Bill. It's very obvious, and uh, it's 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 just amazing some of the things they pull off in these films. And if you're a fan of of that kind of stuff, and even if you aren't, uh, you know, it's just I could not recommend. This would probably be my recommendation of that day of all the releases, uh, November eighth, because uh, okay, it is it is quite the uh, quite the release. Uh, the Lone Wolf. They should bundle that with uh, Lone Wolf McQuaid. I think that should be fun. <laughs> Well, each of the films are only like eighty minutes, so you can breeze through them real easy. It's you know they're 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 real short, but they uh, they pack quite a pack quite a wallop. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll here's something that doesn't pack quite such a wallop, and that's the Rush Hour trilogy. Um, 
<laughs> you know, I've never sat through one of those movies. Um, I just cannot. I'm not every, I, the Chris Tucker thing. Just turns me off completely. I can't even look at the guy. So can't listen yeah, to him. The, I saw the first one and it was tolerable, but uh, you know, I think uh, this. It seems like. Um, uh, Max von Cito turns up in the last one, I believe. <laughs> oh, no. Polanski's in the second one, isn't he? Polanski's in the second one, yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, I'm not, we're not kidding. It's true. Yeah. It's, what is he? Is he like a, is he a uh, police officer or something, like a police detective? I'm not sure. I didn't I didn't see it. I just knew he was in there. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, because because he and Brett Ratner are, are really close. So Brett Ratner. Yeah, that's true. They are. Yeah. We're, we're we're filming in your neck of the woods. Would you like to uh, be in our movie? I mean, that's how I knew. Brett Ratner. That's care about Roman Polanski. Yeah. <laughs> Brett Ratner must be the biggest schmooze artist in in all of Hollywood because <laughs> I mean, like, he seems to know everybody. Uh, well, he, and, he he is, but but to his credit. Because um, I know people like to shit all over Brett Ratner. Um, he, 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 unlike a lot of uh, that breed of directors, he, he actually does know his Hollywood history. He does know his movies. He does. Yeah. Uh, and and he, is a, he is a student of these guys. He, do, he doesn't employ yeah. them yeah. for any of his own movies in any meaningful way. But uh, <laughs> he's, still, he's still respectful of the history. Mm. Well, yeah. that's something. <laughs> Yeah, they they should have had a subplot uh, with the the Roman Polanski police detective character in 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 uh, investigating a case of statutory rape. That would have been it, that would have been great. <laughs> That's a, yeah. That's a little too on the nose, even for Brett Ratner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, boy. Anyway, okay. Well, Taxi Driver has been issued in a 40th anniversary edition with a new 4K transfer and. Yeah, it's, there's new extras, there's new interviews, and so if you are a taxi driver completist, well, here you go again. So, so, so does, just it, does it have it. that? Does it have that uh, Tribeca uh, Q and A on it? Is that what's new on it? Ah, uh, I do believe so. Yeah, I think that's on there, and there's some other stuff too. So uh, it's like an hour's worth of. New stuff, I believe, or maybe a little more, but and a lot of the carryovers, you know, from the other steel, the book, because they had a book that they put out a couple of years ago, that the steel book or whatever. But uh, Mm. yeah, a great book, a great, great book of photography. It was Tashin, Tashin put it out. But Mm. uh, I mean, that's one of the best Mm -hmm. movies ever made. But even I'm like, okay, you're putting out too many editions of it. I mean, seriously. I mean, <laughs> are they are they going to do this like every five years? Like go go back and redo? I mean, I don't know. It's just this whole re-release thing. After a while, you're just like, can we release something new? Something that's never been released before? Yeah, and they're and they're going to have to keep selling it with new material. And yeah. you know, by the time everyone's dead, the new material is going to be like. You know, an exclusive interview with a key grip or something. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's. I guess you know, catalog titles are selling. You know, there's such a niche market now that yeah. I guess the ones that do sell, they have to just kind of you know do what they Keep can with it. them to try to 
make up some of the revenue that these other titles aren't. I mean, that's, generating. Encur- you know, that's I- encouraging too. I mean, if if older if older titles are if there's some older titles that are selling better than the new ones. I mean, we're yeah. seeing that in music too. For the for the first mm-hmm. time, like ever, older titles are selling in greater numbers than newer titles in in the music yeah. world, which is kind of kind of cool. It is cool. Yeah, it's good. It's good to Agreed. know that people are realizing that <laughs> that there was better music in the past, and it's not just yeah old funny days going. Well, in my day, the music was better because it really was better. <laughs> it was yeah. better. I mean, there's nothing better than the 1960s. That's just it. It's the bottom line. Is mm-hmm. it's the greatest greatest decade for music, and uh, and you know, I defy anybody to to say otherwise. Yeah, and you know the main reason. You know the main reason why older music is outselling newer music nowadays, don't you? <laughs> mm, I don't know. It sounds like a setup to a joke. <laughs> it's not a joke be, be, because because uh, because vinyl sells more than CDs and digital downloads. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> day and age. Yeah. Well, that's good. I'm glad that vinyl's back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now we need to bring back uh, VHSs and and video stores. <laughs> that's true. Hey, there, there's uh, you. You posted something about a renaissance of video stores, didn't you? Well, I mean, I, it, there's yes, there's it, it was it was titled I forgot where it's from, but it was titled the the return of the video store, and I don't yeah. really see the video store uh, returning. Although I, <clears throat> you know, reading the article, they were talking about you know younger people who've never been into a video store coming in and like, wow, this is amazing. I mean, yeah. if it's so amazing, how come there aren't any any more of them? Uh, and I really think that the only thing that really killed the video store was late fees. Late fees is the thing that killed video stores. Because, I mean, I used to work in them. And I used to take late fees from people that would be like $50, $60. Mm, uh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God. I just could <laughs> I mean, how long can we keep no, but, but <laughs> how long can I, this go I mean, on? I mean, they they died for two main reasons, as far as I see it. I mean, even if people had late fees, if the only way they were able to see these movies at home were to rent them, then they'd have to rent them. But they had another option that mostly killed video stores, which was they could just bring it up at home and on their computer. But in addition to that, I think blockbusters killed the video store the world's largest chain because they had a prime opportunity to partner with Netflix. I mean, Netflix came to them in their beginnings and wanted uh-huh. Blockbuster to, 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 to be a part of them. Uh, and Blockbuster refused because they didn't see any merit in at-home streaming and that kind of shit. And that's what killed them. And that's what killed video stores in the long run. But and also, the other thing about Blockbuster is people resented the fact that they were such holy rollers that uh, they they wouldn't have certain types of movies on the shelves, that they had no yeah, respect for older films, you know. They were like, oh, Casablanca, this piece of shit. And I know because they, they I used to work at a uh, Blockbuster. I worked at a Blockbuster for six months and saw them like, I've never heard of this movie, Casablanca. What is this? Let's put it in the trash, you know. Let's get it off the shelf. And let's put on, you know, uh, uh, Silence of the Hams instead up here. <laughs> you know, with Tom DeLuise. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Tom DeLuise. Oh, 
But um, uh, I remember them never carrying uh, Last Temptation of Christ, or at least right. it took a long yep. time for them to agree to carry it. Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah, that. I mean, you know, no, nobody liked their holy roller attitude, and uh, and pe- people wanted them to die. So, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, if uh, you know, this article talks about people walking into, you know, of course, mom and pop video stores that have been around and have amazing collections. Stuff that's not available online, uh, that's not available through Netflix. I mean, I think Netflix's biggest biggest uh, shitting of the bed is the fact that they promised us. Uh, I thought that we were going to have a library online that was going to have everything, and it just doesn't mm-hmm. because of uh, mm-hmm. because of contracts and so forth. Uh, and, and I think because of their just simple bad taste, like they just they have no respect for movies, and um, and frankly, most of the shit on there is absolute pure shit that you would not watch unless you were just fucking lobotomized, you know. Yeah. And uh, and I, uh, you know, I, I I feel the same way too about Amazon Prime, although. I'm thrilled when I can find something on Amazon Prime that I think is overlooked and obscure and uh but uh but it it happens very very rarely. Uh so anyway. Well Criterion has Criterion has their own site now. They just launched it called Filmstruck and uh, Right. It's on, it's only like 6 bucks a month. I haven't had time but they even have the audio commentaries and everything. Mm-hmm. So uh you get all the extras that you would get you know, um, if you were doing, you know, if you were actually renting the discs or whatever. So it's okay. kind, of, kind of a neat concept, I think, that for anybody. Yeah. And they're going to get that with. How, uh, I wonder how long after Blu ray release do you have to wait for it to appear on that site? Um, that's a good question. Yeah. Because I, I'm, I'm sure there's like a grace period, just like there used to be with theater to video. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're doing that like with TCM, how... right? They're doing that with Turner Classic Movies. They're yeah, like yeah, Hoots, yeah right? they're partnering up with them. Yeah, and I like how they're curating it. I mean, if you go on there, you can actually click on a director, and they'll have like a, a huge chunk of a director's work. Like if you t- uh, click in, like uh, there's a Kurosawa section that has a bunch of his stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's uh it's good stuff. I mean, it, they're, they're. I mean, you know, like anything, any startup, they've got kinks to work out. But, but I think it's a good. Uh, they're they're heading in a good direction. Let's put it that way. So, I would. Well, love that's to better see, than Netflix. Uh, I would love to see Dreams in HD. Their remastered version. Oh no, kidding! I was Dreams because what a gorgeous, yeah. beautiful, yeah. colorful movie that is. But uh, yeah. I watched. Uh, this is on topic because you're talking about '60s music and TCM. Uh, I watched a couple of things on on TCM. I, I love it; it's my favorite channel. But uh, I rewatched Woodstock because they played that again the other day, and mm, uh, that inspired awesome. me to go out buy buy a lot of uh, '60s folk albums, uh, <laughs> like Richie, ha- Richie Havens. And I can't I can't find the original Woodstock though on LP. Uh, I mean, it's out there, but all of them are in such poor shape. But I did find Woodstock yeah. too. So here, let me get your opinion on this, Dean. This is complete mm-hmm. aside. So eventually I will have the first Woodstock and LP. So I, I'll have Woodstock and Woodstock 2. Woodstock is technically a soundtrack, and that goes in the soundtrack section. But Woodstock 2 technically really isn't. 
but I don't want them separated. I would I would put it in the soundtrack. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I would still I would put it in the soundtrack because it's it's related. Then that's what that's what I'll do then. And and but the other thing I saw on TCM was a Louis Mal documentary from 1985 called God's Country, and uh, I, I liked it uh, immensely. I really did. Mm. He he said they they I think PBS contacted Louis Mal and said you can do a documentary on anything you want and we'll pay for it. And so he started to do something about the largest shopping center in the country or something, and he didn't like the footage he was getting. So a couple of days later he kind of packed up his gear and was driving out of the area and drove into this community, Glen Cove, uh, Minnesota, and started filming interviews with the people there. And it's just a portrait of small-town America in 1979. Then he ran out of money, and he returned to that city six years later in the midst of the Reagan administration and a crumbling uh, farming and agriculture industry and uh, revisited those people who were – who are losing their livelihoods that had been in their family for generations. It's an interesting uh, documentary. It's a slice of life documentary. I just, I really loved it. So, all right. Mm. I have to look at that. Criterion. That's a Criterion title, by the way. It's uh, it's on Criterion DVD, if not Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's always been on my list, and I just never got around to seeing it. Yeah, I heard great things about it. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, back to the titles here. We have a Jess Franco horror film from 1984 called uh, Night Has a Thousand Desires. <laughs> That's somebody and, uh, who's, whose appeal just completely eludes me. Just uh, yeah. you, you just have to, be, you have to be just an aficionado of trash to, to like that. <laughs> you know. But uh, how about uh, I, the Jury? Uh, directed by Richard T. Heffron and uh, starring Armand DeSante and a staple of early 80s HBO. That's, uh, Kino put that one out. Um, we were talking with... about Richard T. Heffron. Yes, we <laughs> were. Yeah. We were the only people, uh, we were said that at that time, you know, as we're fond of saying on this show, that uh, we're the only people in the world talking about Richard T. Heffron, who is, frankly, mostly a television director. Uh, yeah, uh, he is. But, uh, was. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway. Yeah, well, I think Larry Cohen uh, wrote this. He was supposed to be the director of that film, and then uh, he got fired because he can be abrasive, I've heard at times. And so he they didn't like what... You know he was doing, and so they fired him and brought in Heffron. And but uh, I haven't seen this movie in like 30 years, so I'm gonna have to. And I, it's sitting here. I haven't gotten around to looking at it again. But uh, yeah, I have fond memories of it, though. It's pretty violent, from what I recall. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, but uh, another Kino release would be Western Union. Uh, that's a a crime western, they're labeling it, with Robert Young, Randolph Scott, Dean Jagger, and directed by Fritz Lung. Oh, that sounds good. And, uh, yeah. And uh, also the Neptune Factor. That's uh, another Kino release starring, directed by Daniel Petrie and starring Walter Pigeon and Ben Gazzara from 1973. <laughs> I always love that in, like, I guess because, you know, it seems like this was a drive-in. Uh, yeah. 
it was sort of a drive-in staple that movie. Uh, did it have mm-hmm. Yvette Mimieux in it, uh, or somebody? I think like so. That. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> but I always sort of like I always see that in the double bill with Damnation Alley, like two oh, yeah. really awful <laughs> mid '70s sci-fi movies. Uh, but of course, well. Neptune Factor is all underwater, and it has a lot of <laughs> terrible special effects in it. And uh, so, again, if you're aficionado of trash, I guess that's that's. <laughs> it always feels like you know a lot of this stuff that's coming out is just for people who like bad movies. So, okay. Yeah. Well, uh, the Goodbye Girl. This is uh, actually a good film. Uh, Warner Archive has put out uh, Neil Simon's The Goodbye Girl uh, on Blu-ray, so uh, I don't think there's a, any extras there, but um, it is available in high def. So it's still a sweet movie. Yeah, uh, it is. I I I have uh, I have affection for it, even though it's sort of guilty. I feel kind of guilty about it, but. Yeah. but uh, because it's just basically like how many times did Neil Simon do the Odd Couple over and over again? It's yeah, all right. Just like <laughs> two two uh, vastly different personalities been thrown into a room together, you know. But I guess that's what comes from living in New York all all those years. You know, you get you get thrown into situations with people in New York that you wouldn't um, well, in uh, real life or whatever. So, well, uh. Moving right along to uh, November 15th, the following Tuesday, we have The House on 92nd Street, directed by Henry Hathaway, mm. starring uh, Lloyd Nolan and uh, Leo G. Carroll. So that's from 1945, and that, that's another um, Kino release. And uh, we have the uh, uh, Criterion release of Punch Drunk Love. Uh, the okay. first, um, that's the first of their Blu-ray title, uh, Blu-ray releases of the uh, Paul Thomas Anderson catalog that the Criterion. Okay. So uh, yeah, but so uh, they're going to release all the. the I don't know. Movies? I'm not. I'm not sure. I just know this was a big deal because it was the first one in their in their uh, Blu-ray catalog. The first time they've ever dealt with a a, a PTA title. Uh, I would hope that somebody would get a hold of Heart Eight and put that out in high def because it really it's it was released on DVD but it needs a a spiffing up so to speak and uh, mm-hmm. uh, maybe they would be the ones to do that I hope but uh, okay anyway we can hope and uh, a 20th anniversary edition of Space Jam which I know we're all clamoring for that <laughs> Another movie, who, who, you know, I put that in that Goonies category of like, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, movie, movies that people have of a certain age have a have a tremendous affection for that's based on nothing other than it reminds them of like being a kid, I guess. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, yeah. But, I, I was a projectionist it. when it came out, and I remember uh, watching it, you know, when we were putting the film together and all that, and it was terrible then, and I'm sure it's terrible now. <laughs> Even worse, probably. <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. So, uh, anyway, we'll move right along uh, to the Twilight Time titles, and there's some pretty good ones um, this go-round. Uh, the Boston Strangler has been issued, uh, directed by Richard Fleischer, who we often refer to on the show. 
And uh, I love this film from a technical perspective, if nothing else, because of the um, the the multi-image technique. They were shot in Panavision, and sometimes it's uh, it's not just split screen, but sometimes it's triple screen. Even there's all kinds of it's really innovative, and I loved that back in the days when they used to run films on TV and pan and scan only. TV stations were forced to run this in letterbox format because otherwise you couldn't see half of the picture. They had no choice, and I loved it. I was like, ah, <laughs> that is great. In, they have to run it in widescreen. They can't help it. Aha. So, uh, I do love it. And, and it's not. It's not. It, it, they're more than just you know triple screens. It's like you sometimes there's like ten, ten different oh, images yeah. going on. Uh, oh, it, that was it's just... incredibly innovative. I think, is from a technical standpoint. I mean, I, I, I love what he does there, and and you don't really associate Richard Fleischer with being, you know, a a really stylistic director. You know, he's kind of a workmanlike director, but yeah. he really he really did well with this film. And uh, I believe that it's photographed by Richard Klein, who's a great cinematographer. And uh, so I, you know, this is well worth it. Uh, certainly a, a, a worthy release, worthy pick, worthy of picking up. That's the one Along movie with... that I wish uh, De Palma had done, because as oh, of yeah. a few years ago, he was he was going to do the Boston Stranglers. But I guess he just couldn't get financing ready for it. It was uh, his ex-wife was going to produce it for him, Gail Ann Hurd, mm-hmm. but uh, she started being busy with Walking Dead. It was right around that time that that series started. But he could have done a good job with yeah, that. That's a shame. Material. Yeah, that's material. That's right, material ripe for his sensibility. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, they also on the same day released Pretty Poison, uh, mm. written by Lorenzo Simple Jr. and starring uh, Tuesday Weld and Anthony Perkins, and that is also very good. Yeah, it highly is. recommended. Really good uh, Tuesday Weld performance. I mean, they're both agreed. good in it, but but yeah. she's she's particularly great. And uh, and uh, Beverly Garland plays her mother. Oh yeah, uh, the right. sort of former B movie queen. Mm-hmm. And um, and she's very good in it too, in a kind of a role that she didn't get very often. Usually she's playing like, yeah. usually she played, you know, kind of, particularly later in her life, like sort of sitcom mm-hmm. kind of characters. But uh, uh, she's she's uh, she's kind of terrifying in it <laughs> sometimes. I agree. I agree. And, and uh, I... yeah, yeah, good movie. I revisited it the other day, and it holds a really good transfer too. By the way, I mean, there's there's rarely a rarely an instance of uh, film debris in the transfer. It really looks good, very sharp, solid, and uh, some nice extras on there. And uh, so I would uh, recommend also Pretty Poison from Twilight Time. And um, so there's also uh, the other Twilight Time titles. Uh, I Want to Live is another one. Susan Hayward and uh, Simon Oakley. That's what. Yeah, that's what that's what uh, Susan Hayward won her Oscar for. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a Robert yep. Wise movie about right. a woman. Yep. A woman, uh, her lead up to being, I guess she was the first woman who was executed or something like that. Yeah, in the gas I think it chamber. was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, uh, yeah. it's good. Yeah, and I recommend that one that along uh, with Sharon Stone was the second woman to be executed in that movie, Last Dance. <laughs> oh my God! Last the Bruce, it's the Bruce Beresford movie, man. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow, I, I definitely about that. remember that. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's uh... well. Uh, the other part. Uh, that's a conversation killer. Nothing yeah. kills the conversation more. <laughs> Uh, well, I remember that was another one that came out when I was a projectionist, and I don't have fond memories of it either. But uh, wow. it's been a long time. Yeah, so um, other Twilight Time releases, we have a 4K restoration of Moby Dick, the mm. 1956 version, the Gregory Peck. Uh, John Huston and Ray Bradbury was a co-screenwriter on that, which most people tend to forget. And um, also, Moscow on the Hudson, the Paul Mazursky film with Robin Williams, is another uh, Twilight Time. Underrated. And then, right, very much so. And Gran Bolito, which is an Italian film with uh, Shelley Winters that I wasn't really familiar with until it was issued this month. So. Okay. Uh, uh, and then we have, uh, moving along to other things, uh, Breathless has been issue, reissued by Criterion, the Jean-Luc Godard. Uh, uh, previously it was issued as a digipack with the, uh, bundled up with Blu-ray and DVD together. Now it's just Blu-ray alone, and so they put that out. And uh, along with, as you mentioned previously, Akira Kurosawa's Dreams. Mm. Uh, so those are out. Uh, Dead Ringers, Jeremy Irons, David Cronenberg, uh Scream Factory has issued that. That's what um, they. Jeremy Irons should have won the Oscar for that, not for yep. uh, uh, Reversal of Fortune. <laughs> Which yeah, I, I like Reversal I of Fortune, but Dead Ringers is so clearly uh, a superior performance and and, and yeah. a better movie just in general. So. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, so there's that, and the uh, 1947 uh, crime drama uh, Ilya Kazan's Boomerang, Kino has issued that. Now that uh, is one that I got a copy of from Kino mm-hmm. uh, to review for Zeke Film, um, and uh-huh. uh, I have to say that that is a really, really terrific uh, noir film, uh, uh, sort of a quasi documentary. Uh, kind of thing, uh, which it kind of shares with uh, the house on 92nd Street. Um, they're both produced by the same person. Yeah. Uh, and they both have the same narrator, uh, Reed Hadley. But uh, uh, Boomerang is a, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, I guess, you know, people have seen Making a Murderer, the uh, the miniseries that was the documentary miniseries mm-hmm. that was taking the world by storm about this time last year. And uh, they wonder, well, how can this happen? How can this miscarriage of justice happen? Or, uh, Well, Boomerang just shows you that it's, hap- it's been happening all the time. It's, <laughs> it's never going to stop happening. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, cops get under, uh, you know, it's, it's about a murder of a priest. They're trying to find the murderer of, of this priest. And, uh, in, in a small Connecticut town, it's actually also refreshing because it's actually filmed on location. It's not. It's not. Uh, it doesn't feel like it was filmed in, in on an LA backlot or something. Uh, right. Um, and uh, uh, Dana Andrews is a state attorney that uh, gets saddled with this. Uh, you know, trying to convict uh, poor old uh, Arthur Kennedy, uh, who uh, has been nabbed. Uh, he says he's innocent. But they they got a confession out of him by keeping him awake for a week, <laughs> and uh, so uh, and that you know 
And it's based on a true story, by the way. So, I mean, this is this is the kind of thing that's going to be happening forever because cops are under pressure from the press when a crime happens and they have to. They feel like they have to get this thing done, and they don't mm-hmm. care. They just let's just get a guy in the prison and that's it. And uh, uh, then we can say we've done our job. But Dana Andrews is there to. Uh, Put the kibosh on that. So, very, very good movie there. I think that uh, yeah. Robin Givens is great in it, too. I, she's sexy. <laughs> oh, my God, Boomerang. <laughs> yeah. oh, Love that, uh, that song by Boys to Men always sold it to me, too. <laughs> yeah. As he's being wrongfully imprisoned, and the Boys to Men start coming out, that's great. <laughs> Yeah, we've come because to the that end is of the, the moment. <laughs> that is the moment thematically when he goes from a boy to a man. You know, when he's, <laughs> oh man! Yeah, they definitely came to the end of their road. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <laughs> oh man! Well, uh, Kino issued a uh, fourteen disc, sixteen hundred minutes, guys. Buster oh. Keaton collection, which has. Wow. Uh, Everything from 1920 to 1923, The Sap Head, Our Hospitality, Sherlock Jr., Three Ages, The Navigator, Seven Chances, Go West, Battling Butler, The General College, Steamboat Bill Jr., and Lost Keaton from 1934 to 37. So, wow. Uh, pretty that's complete. quite a, Yeah. Yeah, if you're a Keaton completist or if you just haven't caught up with these, that's a good way to – unfortunately, the price tag is $299 on Amazon. Uh, so, uh, But uh, you know, maybe a little cost prohibitive, but anyway. Uh, uh, Arrow has issued Chud. What can you say about Chud? <laughs> Nothing. Really. I remember watching it after – finally, I know it was on cable a lot, but I just right. – you know, I can't watch a movie called Chud. Uh, but yeah. I did finally watch it, and uh, I see why it's a cult hit. It's, it's got yeah. some, it's got some good things in it. And don't forget the sequel was titled uh, Chud Two: Bud the Chud. We can't forget that. Bud the Chud. <laughs> that was so the name just, of it. Yes. They just went like full whole hog comedy uh, on the second uh, they, one. I guess. Pretty, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of, speaking of films that have been reissued. Uh, over and over again, seventy uh, fifth anniversary of Citizen Kane, and from my understanding, this has no new extras. It's just the same thing they issued five years ago or whenever. So everybody's okay. dead. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yep, that's yep. right. Even his uh, biggest coffee. fan, uh, uh, his biggest fans, Pauline Kael and, and uh, Roger Ebert. Yeah. True. Very true. Uh, how about coffee and cigarettes? Jim Jarmusch, uh, Olive Films issued that. Uh, so that's, that's, that's hard a to fun. It's kind of fun to see those people, you know, those various groups of people together. Yeah. And uh, Otto Preminger, Daisy Kenyon, uh, with Joan Crawford from 1947, I believe it is. So and that's another Kino very released. a very weird movie. Very, very strange. Yeah. It's like a noir film, but it has no crime in it. So it's like it's really <laughs> yeah. a it's like it's like a melodrama uh, yeah. with uh, Dana Andrews and uh, Henry Fonda uh, vying for the love of the ever unlovable uh, Joan Crawford. <laughs> and uh, it's it's 
you know, I've never been a big Joan Crawford fan. I, her appeal eludes me. I think she seems mean. Uh, and I'm not just going on like what I know about Mommy Dearest. Even before Mommy Dearest, I thought she seemed mean. Yeah. And um, so I find it difficult to mm-hmm. see people vying for her affection. Like, why would you want right. <laughs> yeah. to be in bed with her? Preminger made some well, oddball movies. He did. Yeah. I mean, he he really did. I mean, even even in the forties, he was kind of trying to buck the sort of uh, you know sexual, uh, I guess, uh, reluctance of the era mm-hmm. uh, in you know in things like Daisy Kenyon and and also in yeah. Laura. Uh, but yeah. definitely when the when the uh, censors let loose of their um, grip on the studios, you know, he that's when he felt, you know, completely unleashed to do things like, you know, yeah. Moon is Blue and and uh, the killing of Sister Skidoo. George and <laughs> uh and stuff like that. So and Skidoo. <laughs> Skidoo. Oh jeez. Oh, <laughs> well yeah, uh, well, Robert Tiedemack's, uh 1948 film *Cry of the City* with Victor Mature and Richard Conti and Shelley mm-hmm. Winters—that's another Kino uh, release. Okay. Uh, *Death of a Salesman*, the 1985 TV production with uh, Dustin Hoffman. Um, that is um, that's been issued. Shout Select. And um, Dustin Ho- let's as- see who was in that. It was Dustin Hoffman, uh, John Malkovich. Malkovich, Mal- yeah, Malkovich, right. yeah. Uh, Kate and, Reed. Yeah. Was it Kate and, Reed uh, that was in that? I can't remember. Uh, I think so, yeah. Uh, but uh, and directed by Volker Schlondorf, of all people, the director of uh, the German filmmaker who made uh, uh, The Tin Drum. So, uh, yep. Not a bad film, but but no. it's Hoffman, Hoffman's kind of miscast as... <laughs> as as Willie Loman. Is it Willie Loman's supposed to be a big booming guy, not a little mouthy Yeah. Worm. <laughs> yeah. Uh well I'll I'll give you uh, uh here's one that I really do recommend. Uh a great job <laughs> moving right along from the death of a film. Sorry. I don't know Sorry. how you seg. <laughs> Uh, how about Hannah Calder? I just, I, I just, I'm just thinking about that line of like uh, Hoffman's uh, or Death of a Salesman. Uh, a man is not a piece of fruit. And I'm thinking, well, <laughs> you look a little bit like a banana. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just a banana with glasses. <laughs> well, it doesn't really have a lot of sense of style. It's just kind of a film stage play. It's not a very, I mean, it's effective because the material is effective, but it's oh, yeah. not really. You know, it, you wouldn't know this is the guy that directed Ten Drum. Let's put it that way, right? Uh, which is kind of did a surprise. Did he also do? Um, how long did he live? That director, Volker Slontorf. I, I don't know. Isn't he might still be around? <laughs> I mean, be, be, before he became like uh, one of the uh, one of the teachers at the university in Harry Potter, uh, with a name like that, uh, <laughs> he's still around. Did he? Oh, he did. Oh, wow. Did he direct Palmetto? Uh yes he did. With ninety eight. Huh huh. We're bringing up movies that we've never brought up before. Look at that. You don't find this on <laughs> yeah, any other are. podcast. Woody <laughs> Harrelson, Elizabeth yeah. Shue. Wow. 
I remember that. I, I, yeah. I, you know, the only movies I know of his are, uh, are these two. The, the uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, of course, he did The Handmaid's Tale, uh, which I've never seen, and Swan and mm-hmm. Love. Uh, yeah. But uh, and The Lost Honor of Katharina Blum, I've always heard is is one of his more notable works. Yeah. But I've only seen these two, so. Well, he's uh, yeah. This this was uh, well, his I guess his biggest claim to fame will always be Ten Drum, so. You know, the, you know, you know the, you know the long and hard thing he gave his wife on their wedding night. His last day. Oh. Oh. <laughs> that's an old Polish joke. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, uh, what about 1972's Hanny Calder? That's been issued as an olive signature. They've got their own line that they just launched last month, actually, uh, of their. They're doing these special editions of some of their titles, and uh, Hanny Calder is one of them. And I, I got a chance to look at this, and it's never looked better. It's terrific. The transfer, just uh, it's pristine, and there's some nice documentaries and commentaries. And so, if you've never seen Hanny Calder and Raquel Welch, and of course the the villains in the film are played by Struther Martin and Ernest Borgnine, and um, and Jack Elam, oh, right? Jack Elam, yeah, and they and they play it like the Three Stooges. But it, it's really kind of tonally interesting because this is a violent revenge film, and yet the three villains play it like the Three Stooges. <laughs> and so it's it's interesting. And Christopher Lee is a gunsmith, and uh, then you got Robert Culp in there. So it's it's good casting, and uh, it's it's like I said, incredibly violent, but also comical at the same time. And it's uh, it's it's hard to categorize, but it's an interesting film. You know what that reminds me have. of? You know that movie Last House on the Left, Wes Craven's Last yeah. House on the Left. The uh, I mean the most god awful, uh, horrific movie you've ever seen. I mean it's it's so god awful you feel like taking a shower afterwards. But in the midst <laughs> of this movie that that is way too effective. You have this key, Keystone Cop subplot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what the hell is this doing in here? That's, that's so totally awful. It always I bothered just, me. I mean, yeah. uh, I have uh, I have a uh, Handy Calder one sheet. <laughs> it's one of the funniest oh, nice. ones. I have. It's one of the funniest one sheets because it's. It, all it is is just a big poster size shot of uh, of. Uh, Raquel Welch. Raquel Welch. And she's yeah. and she's surrounded by uh by Borgdine, Struther Martin, and Jack Elam. And they're all like Wow, they're all grizzled and everything. <laughs> they're they're grouped oh, all yeah. around her. I was like, What a weird what a weird one sheet it is. <laughs> Just so yeah. it's it, it, you know, the one sheet I think kind of gets gets the tone of the movie, I think, right. So but Yeah, uh, I mean it open. I mean, the movie opens with them raping her, burning her house down, and killing her husband. I mean, that's right in the, like the first ten minutes. So <laughs> yeah, that's how it starts. It's pretty interesting. The seventies so, uh, were a big era for rape on in oh, movies. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Raping, well, uh, raping the, left and right. <laughs> well, night. <laughs> there's a lot those of it. Days. Yeah. <laughs> those were the days. Yeah. Uh, the 1953 Houdini with Tony Curtis. That's uh, all the films. 
released that. And uh, they also issued uh, the 1948 version of Macbeth, the uh, Orson Welles, speaking mm. of Orson Welles. This is mm. another Olive Signature yeah. release. And uh, they put that out there. And they also did One of Our Aircraft is Missing. That's the uh, Powell Pressburger film. And also uh, GQs, which is the Abel Gantz remake of his own silent film from 1919. Mm. This is 1938 version with, uh, you know, Victor Frenson. So um, those were a couple other uh, Olive Films releases. And uh, there's... Um, so, yeah, that... that I think that covers all of their stuff. Well, the 1948 Lulu Bell, directed by Leslie Fenton and starring Dorothy Lamour and George Montgomery. That's another. And that's pretty much the uh, Olive releases for that particular day, which was. Uh, uh, and there's one other. Let's see. Oh, yeah, the uh, uh, the 1987 film Man on Fire with Scott Glenn and Joe Pesci and Brooke Adams. 1987. <laughs> Kino released that, so I've now seen that. So now is that <clears throat> was the Denzel Washington Man on Fire? That that was was that a remake of? I'm not sure. I really don't know. No, I don't. I wish I, I could tell so. you, but all right. Uh, and speaking of Chud too, Bud the Chud, they did release that the following week, November 22nd. So I just oh, <laughs> good, good. good. So it is out there. Uh, we, we, ah, Greg, yeah, the long wait is over. Yeah, uh, It's Always Fair Weather is uh, available. The musical uh, is uh, Shid, Sid Charisse. And that's from, um, that's been issued by Warner Archive. And uh, we also have I Drink Your Blood from Grindhouse Releasing. So that's uh, the one where the kid injects the uh, meat pies with uh, rabies or something. Right. And, yeah, and, and everybody becomes a... feeds it feeds it to the bikers, and they all go nuts. Exactly. Yeah. It was yeah. always on a double bill with "I eat your skin." That that's right. I drink your blood, that's and I eat one. your skin. So, uh, wow. uh, I know you guys mentioned <laughs> this last month. Wow. What, what, so <laughs> if, if if it were a trilogy, it, it would be what like. I shit you out or something or what? What, <laughs> yeah. what, that, what would that third movie be? I gobble what your heart. Pleasant. <laughs> I gobble uh, your heart. Geez. Yeah, that's for Thanksgiving. Uh, <laughs> <part of it. laughs> uh, well, um, well, there's quite a few on this day. Uh, November twenty second. That was last Tuesday. That did uh, One Eye Jacks finally made it. The four K restoration. Uh, the Criterion. Mm. Uh, that's finally out there. Uh, the one that Scorsese financed, I believe, um, and uh, and Rabid, the uh, David Cronenberg film with uh, Marilyn Chambers, is mm, being issued yeah. by Scream Factory. Uh, the Lionsgate, uh, they've been issuing these old Vestron video titles. We talked about this. Return of the Living Dead Three is their release this month. Uh, the old, old Vestron video titles. Okay. Uh, there's uh, the Squid and the Whale is another Criterion release. Um, but came out on the 22nd, and we also have a Kino uh, release, a box set of all the Depate Freeling uh, in cartoons, like the all Inspector, the Roland, and Ratfink. Yeah, the Ant and the Aardvark, Tijuana Toads, Roland and Ratfink, and the Inspector, all in one box set. So oh, big, so no no uh, Pink Panther. 
No, just the other ones. Yeah. The, okay, so it's got yeah. the other ones. I always liked yeah. uh, the ant and the aardvark. I thought that was uh, yeah, that was, was pretty good. Pretty particularly funny. I mean, it's funny that the ant has a sort of has a Dean Martin quality to his voice. Yeah. And then I guess the aardvark had like a sort of a Jackie Mason type <laughs> type thing yeah. going on. But I always found True. that to be a, an interesting choice by them. Yeah. <laughs> Dean Martin and Jackie Mason together. But uh, <laughs> I I enjoy the ant and the aardvark. Uh, I don't. Yeah. I I did as a kid. I don't know if the others. I don't even remember. I mean, I know the inspector, but I don't remember Tijuana Toads and. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, well, there's a box of them in case you're interested. In. The 1942 horror film, The Undying Monster, has been issued by Kino. And Shout Select has issued To Live and Die in L.A., a special edition of uh, yeah. the William Friedkin film. That's so, the movie uh, I'd like to watch again. I had to, good. I'd like to watch up. that. It, hold, it, hold, it holds up really well. Yeah, I think it does, too. And so now we're on to next Tuesday, the 29th. Did you know, I heard Tuesday. something interesting. Did oh, you yeah. know the first date date movie uh, O.J. Simpson went on when he got out of prison? No. <laughs> mm, oh. What is it? The, well, it's the first movie he took a date to was Jade. Ha! <laughs> Jade. Now, I mean... Is there is there something sort of funny that about that? I mean, I've never seen I've never seen Jade. I have to be honest. But I didn't. Uh, is it about like a guy killing his wife or something? Uh, yeah. I mean, it has that element in it. I mean, it's about okay. sex and murder and all that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, and that's uh, an well, unusual first of all, choice. It's just ast- ast- astounding that uh, we can pinpoint. Uh, the ticket that was sold for Jade because it did gross like what twelve dollars so and it belonged to OJ uh, and secondly that it was this big murder thing and he took a date to it I mean I, if I was that date I'd be scared shitless <laughs> could we go see like all Can dogs we go, go see to something? heaven or something <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and he'd be walking out of the theater saying, you know, Nicole was a dog. Yeah, but anyway, go ahead. (laughs) And she's in heaven now. Yeah. Uh, That is terrible, but it's funny because we know he did it. Okay, Adam, go ahead. Oh, no, that's uh, – well, there's – Acorn Media has issued a box – Set of uh, well, I don't think it's a box set, it's a, uh, but it's a documentary called "Sound Breaking: Stories from the Cutting Edge of Recorded Music," and which they're showing on PBS. It's excellent, by the way. Right? Yeah, I've been hearing good things about it. Uh, yeah, but it's it's if you oh, want to definitely 400, watch it. Four hundred and thirty-five minutes. So I will tell people that. But um, anyway, uh, back to it's the, available the on. By the way, that. Soundbreaking is available on on uh, PBS dot org uh, oh, nice. as a str- uh, as streaming, uh, you know. So they have all eight episodes up there. It's yeah. good. It's it's very good. If you're good. a music fan, you will dig it. Well, that uh, I'm definitely curious about it. But uh, the Back to the Future series has been issued one more time. The Complete Adventures. Uh, <laughs> I think this even has the animated series in this one. I'm not 100% sure, but I think that's the selling 
how they're trying to market it this time around. But at any rate, uh, it's it's out there. As well as Richard Lester's 1984 film, Finders Keepers, with Michael O'Keefe, Beverly D'Angelo, Louis Gossett Jr., and Jim Carrey. <laughs> Jim Carrey, yeah, okay. It's one of yeah, those early so. Jim Carreys. Hmm, okay. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, and I think the only other thing left is a uh, we have to do a, a vinegar syndrome release. We always do, and it's this in the case of this one, it's Death Machines from 1976. So uh, hmm. that's an issue from um, Vinegar Syndrome, and um, there is oh yeah, there is a two for a Taboo Two and Taboo Three. Although I'm not, uh, these have Kay Parker and Dorothy LeMay in them, but I'm not really familiar with them. But from 1982 <laughs> and uh, Rated X, of course. Uh, but uh, one Classic of the stars porn. here is Kevin. <laughs> yeah, it says one of the stars here is Kevin James also, but I'm assuming it's not the Kevin James we all know. So. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. I uh, hope not as well. Uh, I'd rather not think of that, but uh, anyway. So uh, we'll leave it on that note. But uh, he, really, he, really is the, the... he really is the king of queens. I mean, it's interesting. <laughs> really. You know why. Uh, oh, one other title I did forget. I just noticed one. Time After Time, the uh, Nicholas Meyer Warner Archives has issued that. That's one I missed. That's so, a wonderful uh, movie. It sure is. Yeah, it deserves to be uh, revisited. I would recommend that. So, great stuff, great stuff. 